Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another coronavirus episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can hear me on Fox Sports Radio and you can read me on Bleacher Report. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Bucher. That's R-I-C-B-U-C-H-E-R. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear just me talking about what I exclusively feel are the most important or interesting topics in the sports world, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. All right. As I record this, I have my screens up, open, and on. My TV screens, that is. And I've got the Sacramento Kings playing the Miami Heat on one and the Cincinnati, FC Cincinnati playing the New York Red Bulls on the other. And let me just say, it is glorious to have reason. I can't tell you the last time I had both screens on. And certainly, uh, it's been months since I've had live sports on both screens. The basketball may be awful, and it has been. And I can't tell you whole, a whole lot about FC Cincinnati. The only reason I'm watching this is because I was born and raised in Cincinnati. And so I need to get up to speed with the new local 11. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, I am enjoying the fact that we have some normalcy. And that little squeaking, I don't know if you can hear it in the background. One of my dogs, Frank, Frankie as we call him, has one of his chew toys. And he's going to town. And I am... Uh, on dog duty as I record this, so I've got to leave the door open to my studio. Hope you don't mind. We'll see if we have any other distractions. <laughs> Frank decided... <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to leave this in or not. I, <laughs> I may just have to. That is really good stuff. So... Thank you, Frank. Thank you for participating. I was actually going to have my son, Matt, join me. Uh, It is one of the subjects that I do want to get to when it comes to sports. He's a high school athlete, as is my daughter. (laughs) And uh, I'm really curious to have a conversation with him about what it's like to be a high school athlete in this time where uh, they just, it was just announced that in California, they're going to have the seasons, the fall and winter seasons, but they're pushing everything back. So, 
um, we'll see how that goes and we'll see how it goes in the rest of the country. All right. Number of things I want to get to. Uh, first of all, I believe looking at what we have with the, the NBA restarting uh, and the Brooklyn Nets in particular, that uh, entire teams should have been given the option to opt out in the way that individual players were. Because let's face it, this Nets team is not the Nets team we saw in the regular season. And when you have Spencer Dinwiddie and Wilson Chandler and DeAndre Jordan and Tarion Prince all opting out, Kyrie Irving opting not to play, Kevin Durant opting not to play, raises some questions long-term about the mentality of this Nets team, but even in the short term. I had plenty of, I was going to say plenty, I had a number of GMs who told me that they were coming back to play, but under the circumstances with the time off and the short runway and what they were or weren't playing for, that most of them were going to treat it like summer league. Come back and play, get your guys in shape, get a little competition in, but not approaching it by any means with the same seriousness that they would the regular season. And so when you look at the Eastern Conference in particular, those last couple spots, really looks like who wants it? I would say that the Washington Wizards could jump up and take that net spot based on the roster that they're going to put out there. And I've had people in the Nets organization refer to their team right now as a G League squad, essentially. And that uh, the... The seriousness with which they're taking it is not the same. Now, I don't want to come off as one of those salty guys who finds fault in most everything. That seems to be a credo of sports writers and radio talk show hosts and TV hosts, etc. I don't want to be one of those guys. Uh, I just told you how uh, happy I am and excited that we have live sports back, no matter what the quality is. But I do I hope you don't mind if I indulge in... I ask some questions. I'm just going to ask some questions about what we're seeing right now. And uh, first of all, it starts with the protocol. So as you may or may not know, inside the NBA bubble, they are testing on a regular basis. And so far, of all the tests that they've had, they've had zero positive results of anybody who's been tested, who has gone through the quarantine process and has been in the bubble. So, with that in mind, I have to ask the question, as I'm watching these scrimmages for the first time. We have the chairs socially distanced. We have plexiglass around the scorer's table. Uh, what else do we have? I think that's, that's it. We also have people who are wearing masks. The players, <laughs> the players on the bench are socially distanced. Okay, so I understand you want to take every precaution. However, if you're testing everybody and everybody is negative in the bubble, why are we separating everybody now? Or why do we have to take these measures? I just want to know. I'm also, as I look right now, it looks as if the coaches are not maintaining that same social distance. Could be just the angle of the look and now I'm seeing a coach who's wearing a mask some are not some are that goes for people who are behind the plexiglass 
Some people are wearing masks. Be one guy wearing a mask and there'll be two people next to him, left and right, who are not wearing masks. So what's the deal? Like, what is the deal? This has been my issue all along when it comes to this. Uh, anybody who feels like wearing a mask is a violation of their freedom of rights, has, has never had to fight for their freedom of rights, has never had to worry about their freedom to do anything. Because freedom doesn't mean the right to do whatever the hell you want, just because you want to. Wearing a mask is, and I hate to get on a soapbox here, but for the, mo the vast majority of my listeners, I'm sure understand this and are responsible. It's a matter of just being a responsible citizen of the country. It's not about you, whether it's keeping you healthy or not, or though it will. It's about thinking about everybody else and about squashing this virus so that whoever has it, has it is not passing it along. And here's the reality. You very well may not know that you have it. And yeah, the testing is up and down as far as who has it and who, has, who doesn't have it. That's even more reason for all of us to take every precaution and stamp this out. Now, when it comes to the NBA and what it's doing or what any of us are doing, I just need to know what is it that we need to do? Do we need to be behind plexiglass? Do we need to wear masks all the time? Do we need to social distance all the time? Or yes or no? What, what is it? What One or the other or all of the above? Because the rules as I can see just by watching my TV seem to vary in the very same locale, in a place where, trust me, it is of utmost importance to the NBA that they not have an outbreak and that they, they, get, the, they get this right. So... If they got seemingly variations under their circumstance, it's just a little bit confusing to me. Now, other thing I want to get to is we're going to see video clips from, it's an interesting mix that we have down there uh, as far as reporters and media are concerned. Uh, limited, extreme limited number. And let's just say that they're not the most erudite when it comes to the NBA. They're there for a variety of reasons. They have value to their particular outlets. I don't begrudge anybody who's there, but it's not necessarily the people who know basketball best. And yet they are going to be our conduits with a lot of information. To wit, a video was put out about, I'm, I'm not going to call out any names, but a video was put out of Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, I guess it was after a practice, was shooting threes, unguarded, making one after the other. And the clip was put out and the comment was, if Giannis shoots threes like this, watch out, essentially. You know, what does it mean for the rest of the league? And it means nothing. I just... I can't tell you the number of players that I've seen in a practice who can shoot three after three after three and they're never going to shoot a three in a game. Or if they do, they're going to shoot maybe one, maybe two. Dwight Howard, Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, I've seen them in practice make free throw after free throw after free throw at the end of a game, or at the end of a practice. 
do they make them at the same clip in the game? No, obviously not. So to interpret Giannis, Giannis shooting unguarded threes with an incredibly slow release after a practice and suggest that that has any relation to what he could be doing in a game is embarrassing. I, I don't know. I don't know. Or, or misleading. I don't know what how you want to phrase it, but it's... And I don't know why this makes me so upset. I think it's just because it's so dumb. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know any other way to put it. And I'm not trying to insult anybody. But if you've been, if you've covered basketball, if you've been around teams, you know that that virtually is meaningless. It's nice that he is working on his game. And it's nice that he's capable of knocking them down. But... Do I need to list all the ways in which that is not a situation that in any way relates to his ability to make shots in a game? First of all, no one's guarding him. There's nobody else out on the floor. So he doesn't have to think about, am I hitting somebody with a pass? Am I putting it on the floor and driving? Like no decision making. Simply an assistant coach feeding the ball, taking the shot. Oh, by the way, and then he's going to take another shot. And he's going to take another shot. When do you ever do that in a game? Uncontested, take three after three after three from the same spot. When do you ever do that without having to go back and play defense for at least 24 seconds and then bust your ass down the court, find your spot, get the ball, swing, swing, knock down a shot with a hand in your face? If that was video from a team scrimmage, I would give it more credence or more meaning. This is virtually meaningless. The second layer is they don't need Giannis shooting threes. They have guys on that roster who are always going to be bigger and better three-point threats than Giannis. That is their job to space the floor. Who are they spacing the floor for? Giannis Antetokounmpo. If Giannis shows me a mid-range game, the ability to catch the ball on the elbows of the free throw line and either knock down a little mid-range or have the footwork to to finish at the rim with more than a Euro step, now you've got my attention. Now it has some significance. Because what that's going to do is it becomes a pick-your-poison. You either have to give up that mid-range that little 15-footer, or you're going to have him attacking the rim, and if you close to tack, uh, to stop him going to the rim with more than one defender, then your three-point shooters are going to be open on the perimeter, and that is when the Bucks are truly going to be lethal. Which brings me to the other subject of this podcast, and that's the MVP race, which even with no games played, has suddenly become very contentious. I said it before the shutdown. LeBron James was right there as far as being an MVP candidate. And upon further reflection, as of right now, he's at the top of my ballot. I'm not going to be one of those who says, if you vote for Giannis, you're making a mistake. I understand. I understand the support for him. I also understand that the NBA has never defined what most valuable player is. They leave that up 
to each individual voter, of which I am one. And they do it, I believe, purposely, because we will have these debates, and we will have these disagreements. And as a result, we will fill a lot of airtime and a lot of social media feeds with the debate over who deserves to be the MVP. You make a decided definition, you have it definitive as to who the most outstanding player, whatever it might be, best player on the best team, you do that, and then it's going to be pretty cut and dry. It's, it's certainly it's going to be far less debatable than what we have right now. The issue that I have with the debate between Giannis and LeBron is the argument that I hear most often made for Giannis being the MVP. One of which is, that the Bucks have a better record than the Lakers. Now, it's become pretty prevalent of late that the best player, or who was perceived to be the best player, on the team with the best record is the MVP. That's happened more often than not in the last decade. I believe six, at least six times it has happened in the last decade where the best player on the team with the best record has been named the MVP. But it doesn't always happen. Didn't happen with Russ Westbrook in 2017. Didn't happen with Kevin Durant in 2014. And didn't happen with LeBron James in 2012. So it's not a foregone conclusion, or therefore it's not a case to be made that, well, they have a better record, so therefore their guy should be the MVP. Same goes for statistics. And statistics in particular in this case, what I've heard is Giannis was the MVP last year and his numbers are even better this year and the Bucks' record or winning percentage is even better. So therefore, if he was the MVP last year, how can he not be the MVP this year? Well, very simple. Because... It's decided on a year-by-year basis. Now, I've seen this happen many a time. Steve Nash had won back-to-back MVPs. And his third year, he actually had what I considered his most effective, most valuable year. But because those voting did not want to put him in the hierarchy of guys who won... MVP three years in a row, he couldn't be selected MVP that year. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which again, makes no sense, really, is unfair to approach it that way. So I know that it happens. I know that previous years, seasons, whether a guy has been named MVP or not named MVP, can influence who ultimately wins MVP. 
but it shouldn't work that way. And my vote is not going to work that way. Giannis winning last year with whatever he did and whatever the Bucks did has no reflection on this year. The big difference between last year and this year is LeBron was on a non-playoff team. He got injured. And so he wasn't in the running. Compared to this year, where they made some changes. They made a lot of changes. New coach, three new starters, five guys new to the roster. And they have the second best record in the league. Now, I'm... uh, the main one of the main reasons why I am making this argument is it's a rejection of statistics as the be all and the end all of determining whether a player is good or not, whether he's valuable or not, what his role is on a particular team. I can tell you I know that NBA teams operate from an analytical basis. Not with the very best players, but a lot, it has become a plug-and-play sort of process. They look at analytics. For example, you need a, a rebounder off the bench. They will look at guys' analytics and their statistics and find a guy who's an efficient rebounder. They won't look at the chemistry element. They won't look at his personality. Uh, and they'll look at what what they can afford from a salary cap standpoint to pay for that particular role. So there's not a whole lot of negotiation. If, if say, a team comes to an agent and says, you've got the guy, you've got, you've got the backup rebounder that we want. We, you got the rebounder off the bench that we're looking for. This is what we're offering. If the agent or the player tries to play hardball and says, no, I want this, they just go to the next guy on their list. Uh, might be a little wiggle room there in negotiation, but not a whole lot. They know exactly what they want to pay for that. It's a little bit different when you're talking about MVPs. Certainly when I look at how you determine who and what an MVP is. Now, Giannis checks a lot of the boxes, but he doesn't check all the boxes for me. And a couple of them are intangible things. That statistics simply can't fully recognize or measure. Those of you who come at me or come at anyone with statistics as your explanation for why Giannis is the MVP, you tell me one thing right off the bat, and it's that you don't understand the game. I have no other way to interpret it other than that you don't understand the game or you don't watch the game so you're boiling it down to statistics if it came down to that we wouldn't have to watch games i'm not even sure we'd have to play games we could just we could have guys play a handful of games and then extrapolate what their averages would be over the course of the season or their finals would be and then you have you don't you have you have a story right you have a defined difference in players because there are all kinds of variables that have to go into account from season to season the bucks 
have a certain continuity this year. They have the same coach. They have the same system. They added a couple more shooters. They lost Malcolm Brogdon as a result. Giannis is going to handle the ball more. Assist probably should go up because he carries more of the playmaking role. Did his assist go up so much that he replaced Malcolm Brogdon? I'm not sure I would say that. But his statistics are going to change as a result of the makeup of the team. LeBron has often benefited from this as well. Like, the fact that that LeBron is averaging almost a triple-double or is leading the league in assists is because he always has the ball in his hands. And essentially, he's not making the swing-swing play. He doesn't suffer from the same thing that Michael Jordan did in the triangle, which was not based on Michael Jordan breaking somebody down and then kicking it. In many, many cases, that's exactly how the, the Lakers play. He is really the only bona fide playmaker on that team. And I know what some of you are immediately going to say. What about Anthony Davis? Anthony Davis is a very talented, I don't know if say great player. He's a very talented player. He's not a playmaker. He does not create shots for other guys. He just doesn't, he doesn't have that element of, I'm going to draw this second defender, and when I see that, I'm going here or here. He just doesn't have that kind of floor vision. He's more of a one-on-one type guy. Uh, you can, you often, they don't double him, essentially, because they want to wear him out physically. You have the right kind of guys. You'd rather run one fresh defender after another because AD, more often than not, is going to try to go one-on-one. That's the best part of his game. Don't blame him for that. But the only guy that, that creates both for himself and for everybody else on that team is LeBron, especially with Rajon Rondo now out of the picture. Rajon would create for others. He would try to create for himself, but the balance was skewed the other way as far as more playmaking for others as opposed to himself. The other part is being able to finish. And again, this just comes down to watching games. They will put the ball in Giannis's hands at the end of games, and they will give him a chance to go. And he will get maybe one possession, and they'll see whether he can exploit a matchup or how he does or how the defense reacts to him. And if he doesn't get it done, they're going to Chris Middleton. They're going to Eric Bledsoe. They know we can't go possession after possession to Giannis and expect that we're going to close this game. That's just a matter of watching the game and seeing what the results are. And if you don't do that and you don't do that on a regular basis, I'm sorry. Your statistics mean nothing to me because I do watch that. The other part is for anybody who makes pure statistical arguments, does not give me any anecdotal evidence, doesn't give me any direct description of how the Bucks play or situations in which Giannis got the job done. Again, To me, it's not only you don't understand the game, you've never played the game. Not at a high level. Not at a highly competitive level. And I'm sorry if that hurts some of your feelings, but that's just the reality. And I haven't played at the NBA level. I haven't played at the pro level. Um, I played college soccer, Division I. I I would say that there are probably plenty of you that played uh, high school basketball that can relate to this, that understand this, which is... When you're on the floor, you don't fear or respect 
an opponent because of their statistics, because of their averages. You fear or respect them because of how they play and their presence. And as the game evolves, what they're able to do and what they're not able to do. If you play, you understand immediately, oh, that guy gets numbers. But he gets his numbers either in the first three quarters or when it doesn't count or he gets it off of other people. Like, he's not the driving force. He's not the guy that you go, oh, game's tied. He's got the ball. Everybody's on high alert because he's going to make something happen. It may work. It may not work, but he's going to make something happen. And we better, we better come correct. Because if we make a mistake, he's going to exploit it. He's going to get it done. And even if we don't make a mistake, he might get it done. That's why when a Damian Lillard says he thinks LeBron James is the MVP this year, that means a hell of a lot more to me than possibly any statistic that you could throw at me. Because Damian Lillard has been on the floor, not just with LeBron James, but with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And with anybody else that you might consider an MVP candidate. Now, there are times where guys have rooting interests or they have friendships or they have alliances. So you have to know whose opinion you can trust. I trust Damian Lillard's. Damian's not going to say LeBron is the MVP if he doesn't inherently believe or has not felt what it's like to be on the floor and to respect and fear what LeBron James is going to do versus what Giannis is going to do. Let's be clear, and I know I've said it before, but MVP is subjective. There is no objective approach to it. Each voter has their own definition. And for me, it's most indispensable. And I'll be honest, there are years where it varies as far as what I weigh, how much I weigh it, a lot of it has to do with who's in the competition. It's finding that most deserving person. And I hate to say it, but that can vary as far as what the particular things involved in the comparison are. And a lot of that, again, is, is, is personal choice. The league allows each voter to have that. Anybody who has followed my career and listened to my analysis knows that it's not like I am a LeBron bandwagon rider by any by any means. I don't think I've ever been accused of that. I'm also not anti-Giannis or Milwaukee or small market or any of those things. This really comes down to me just believing that when I step back and I look at a comparison of these two and what they do for their respective teams and where their teams are, that LeBron has played a bigger role for the Lakers. I mean, it's as simple. It's not, you know, some people do the, if you put Giannis on the Lakers and you put LeBron on the on the Bucks, would they be the same? Uh, to me, that's a specious argument because those teams are built specifically to take advantage of those particular superstars and their respective talents. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to use that as the litmus. For me, if I look at what they do for their teams and I take them away from their teams, the Lakers would 
cease to function or be anything close to what they are, I believe. Giannis, I think there's enough talent and there's enough guys who can do certain things that you can replace what he does. Not everything. He is a unique, unique talent. And I have no problem with him or anyone who considers him the MVP. I actually appreciate his approach at this point, which is, I'm not worried about the MVP. That's not where my focus is. It's on winning a championship. As well, it should be. And quite honestly, I feel like for LeBron, it should be too. Like, I don't even know why he's campaigning or anybody's campaigning for him. He's got four of them. Winning another one seems to me should be the least of his worries or aspirations. But even him doing that is not going to discount or change my view of who deserves my MVP vote. So there you have it. Now, I know people who have coached Giannis. I know people who have played with Giannis. They believe he will get there. And I believe he has the mindset to get there. He wants to get it done. He's not afraid of the moment. He truly is not. He just doesn't have the skill set yet to be able to execute it. And this is a little bit of what bothered me when people anointed or defined LeBron's game as being more than it was before it became what it is. Is that you're really not doing that player a favor or doing them justice. Because if you suggest that they're complete before they are, then what's the motivation for them to truly become complete, to be the player that they ultimately could be? Now, I'm not suggesting that anybody, or at least LeBron or Giannis or anybody, is going to stop working on their game as a result of people saying that uh, that they're already a closer when they're not. They know. And and look, the Bucs won't win. The Bucs won't win a championship until Giannis becomes that closer. That's that's the reality. That's why the Bucs won't win a championship this year. Unless something... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff. Shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Extraordinary happens, and there are injuries to... You know, Kawhi and LeBron and teams that are capable of winning it that do have guys who can close. It's not going to happen. Largely because I don't believe that Chris Middleton or Eric Bledsoe can be that guy. I would be very surprised. We've seen it. It's one of the reasons why people discount the Toronto Raptors because they believe that they lost their closer in Kawhi Leonard. Or at least that's why I assume. I think they still have a chance because... I believe that Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, all of those guys are proven closers with the right matchup. And I don't know that you can say that about Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe. If you could, I might look at them a little bit different. But you certainly can't say that about Giannis. 
All right, that does it for this episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. Uh, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you'd like us to do something for you, or if you'd like us to do something different with the podcast, feel free to reach out to us at Buker Friends uh, on Twitter, and we will respond. We're also, we are still looking to have a drawing on various prizes but we need to get to a certain number before we're going to do that. So if you want to be a part of that, please screenshot your review or your comment or both and send them to at Buker Friends. In the next podcast, I, I'm i going to delve into, it's going to be another Buker Friendless. I am, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but uh, I went to school with Laura Ingram and Dinesh D'Souza and a number of people that are very well known in the conservative ranks, and I actually worked on a newspaper with them. I also had a comment, and the reason I'm bringing this up, I, I made a comment a while back about fans, certain types of fans who resented players, such as Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Powerful, rich, successful black superstars and why it was that they resented them. And I made a statement that draws upon where I'm from, who I am, essentially, and what my experience has been. I'm going to share all of that with you in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.